This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. of the issues have no idea that, that these things are going on. And I can only hope that someone who was at one of those organizations was listening or will tap into those resources and will begin to engage in efforts to right the ship with regard to those matters. Though Those things, if they don't get any attention, they're going to remain as they are. And every person in the world of UX that does anything in the world of UX impacts everybody in the world of UX and every company, everything that everybody does, we we are a unit, whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not. And no matter how much someone may try to detach themselves from what's going on, everybody who's in operating in the world of UX is part of a unit. So whatever one does, it impacts us all very easily, very often. It is very, very simple and and pretty much automatic. It's a domino effect for people to do something. For example, somebody posts a job description and the job description is poorly written, poorly structured, does not set proper expectations, but because the job description is presented in conjunction with a company that has a a successful uh, business reputation in the business world, um, put it that way, uh, people will automatically assume that they know what they're doing and that they're properly representing that discipline that they're posting a job for. And that's not always the case. So then another... 15 to 15,000 companies have people that see that job posting, think that it is a representation of what they should be doing, and they admittedly know that they don't know how to hire. So they embrace those things. And now that poor example of a job posting is out there in the wild, and there's nobody out there except for people like me to speak out about these things and to highlight these things as things to be avoided, practices, mindsets to be avoided. So this is part of how we got to where we are today. And and they all tie back to UX maturity levels. There's a UX maturity level for the entire discipline. There's one for each company. There's one for individuals, practitioners. There's one for stakeholders. I like to give 
maturity levels to stakeholders, to projects, things of that nature, because it helps us to understand who we're dealing with, how to manage the different individuals and entities, things of that nature. That's something that I do. I've never heard of anyone else doing it, but I firmly endorse it and have seen the benefit of it in the past and achieved a great deal of success because I was doing it for the organization, as well as for myself, as well as for my teams, everybody who was impacted. So there's a lot going on in the UX world when it comes to hiring and everybody's going to have to eventually get on board with understanding what's going on and to try to labor to get things right. This week, we're going to focus on things from the candidate perspective where we're going to look at these overlooked elements and foibles of the UX hiring process. But this time we're going to look at it from you, from your perspective. I should say, from my perspective as an individual who's trying to get a UX job, this is really big for those who are seeking their first UX gig. And and there, there's so much that's going on. It's one thing for someone to not understand how looking for a job works. And then there's another thing for someone to be in the business of looking for a job in an arena that they do not understand. And then to add another layer of complexity to be looking for a job in an arena that you really either are not qualified for at all or bring very little to the table from a value proposition perspective. So there's a lot of complexity and I have a very long list. So this might be another extended episode today, but let us dive in. Number one, we need to understand that if a person submits a poorly constructed resume, that is going to create a problem. Remember, these are overlooked elements and foibles. And somebody say, well, Darren, that's not overlooked. Um, if it was not overlooked, there would not be such a broad volume of poorly constructed resumes. <laughs> As a former hiring manager, I have seen them. I have seen them for years. I have an HR background on top of that. A lot of people don't know how to write resumes. And as mentioned a few moments ago, when you have people who don't have experience in a given discipline, who don't understand how a particular discipline works, that compounds the problem. And so poorly constructed resumes, you're either not going to get the an interview, it's go, your resume is going to be tossed out. And so if you want to be noticed, if you want to go to the next level, it's important to take the time to properly construct resumes, you know, the, get the pictures off of there. Make sure to keep things as succinct as possible. Don't write paragraphs. I mean, there's so many things and I'll have some tips at the very end of, of some, going to have some book recommendations here for people to tap into. And I'm going to end up doing a medium article about the same, but make sure that your resume is constructed well. Otherwise you're operating in the overlooked elements and foibles. Next one, people don't understand the purpose of a resume. A lot of people, I find that out when I talk to them, a resume is meant to provide a snapshot, to provide a representation of who you are, who your persona is, so to speak. And all the resume does is get you an interview. That's it. When you get in the interview, then you can present more detail. But People need to understand that all the resume is designed to do is to get someone, someone's attention enough where they feel that 
it's worth their time to take you to that next phase and at least engage you in a screening call at that point. So a lot of people don't understand that. The expectations are off. Then it's not, uh, the, the resume isn't constructed properly. That just makes things even different. And if it's not constructed properly, you may not get a call at all anyway. And, and then another thing we need to understand, you can do these things right and still not get a call. But, but, but please understand, we don't want to at least do things right. If you're not going to get a call, if you're not going to get an interview, still make sure you do things right. Don't let anything stop you from doing things right. Next, one of the things I've observed in conversations as a hiring manager, just in my travels as a UX professional, I see a lot of people, I come across a lot of people that just do not understand the nature of the position that they're applying for. And that's a problem, folks. That is a problem. If people don't understand the nature of the position, what it is that a particular job is is established in order to do. If someone is hiring, it's because they expect that position to bring a certain set of value to an organization. So when people, a lot of times people are trying to get jobs, people are applying for jobs, they're interviewing for jobs, and they see everything from their perspective and they don't see anything from the perspective of the company that they're applying to. So you already have a dysfunctional approach from there. So that, that that's, that's going to be problematic. So we don't want to do that. Always make sure that you take a look at the company, that you research the company. Always make sure that you look at the position, look at what the responsibilities are. And, and forget about the fact that sometimes people get baited and switched. They do. Uh, that's not a good thing. But we have nothing else to go on. Look at the job posting, digest it as best as you can, and then you want to make sure that you understand what it is that the company is looking to bring on board in the person of, of whoever is going to occupy that position. You want to digest that so that you can communicate, so you can present yourself proper, things of that nature. Next, let's say you get the interview. You go in, you get the interview, you're, you're, uh, you're happy about it, you're excited, you get to talk to people about the job. You know what a lot of people fail to do? They're interviewing you, but a lot of people fail to remember or realize that you're also interviewing that company. You're interviewing the people that are in there interviewing you. It is a two-way street. They're trying to find out whether or not you're a fit, and you need to be trying to figure out whether or not you're a fit and whether or not they're a fit for you. A lot of times, people are so gung-ho about getting a position that they throw out the I'm interviewing the company mindset out completely. They, they just completely strike all those things down and it's all about simply just getting a job and I'll take care of the rest of it and examine the rest of it after I get in there. You need to be courageous enough and you need to have enough respect for yourself to interview that company so you can find out, is this really a good fit for who you are? Do they respect their employees? A lot of companies don't, folks. Do they treat people 
properly. Don't fall for the, oh, it's a top place to work. That's a lot. There's a lot of mumbo jumbo associated with that. And, and a lot of that stuff is based on surveys that the, 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 the employees that feel that the place is terrible don't participate. So the, <laughs> the surveys are usually a bit disjointed and they're missing some key information. So you need to ask particular questions and present particular scenarios to see whether or not that place is a fit for you. I, I told somebody once about a really tough question that I've only presented myself a couple of times, but if you have the, the gumption to do it, when you're interviewing the company, ask, tell me, give me a reason why I would not want to work for you. And, and when you do that, you can look at how honest they appear to be in the response. You can look at the, the depth in the answers. You can look at whether or not they begin fidgeting. You can look at whether or not they try to present a, a picture of the organization being a pie in the sky type of an operation where everything is is all uh, unicorns and and marshmallows and that type of nice, fluffy, puffy things uh, when we all know that that's not the case. It's work. <laughs> so when you go into the company and they try to sell you on the place and they've done everything but give you a parade and, and they're talking about how much they... We, we work hard and we play hard and you see people and everybody's playing ping pong and folks are having big dance parties and all this other kind of stuff. But when it comes to work, if you talk to people who work there, you find out they don't really respect the work. You need to find things out like that early because if you don't and you get in there, uh, you could have an extremely traumatic experience. And some people have have those types of things affect their health. I mean, it, it, it comes all the way down to to really degrading and depreciating your quality of life because just because you failed to ask the right questions because you didn't respect yourself enough to ask the right questions. Someone told me once, well, I, I can't ask that question. Yeah, you can. Value yourself and you can ask these questions, tough questions like that. If you don't value and you're, the name of the game is get the get the job. Um, you're you're selling yourself short, and you will likely may likely regret it. So please keep that in mind. Next, there are a lot of people who have a a tendency to be very disingenuous. You don't want to be disingenuous when it comes to the job search process. As a former hiring manager and Again, as one that talks with UXers from all over the world, I talk with hiring managers from all over the world. I talk to recruiters from all over. And it is amazing how people are willing to lie about who they are. And, and some of them even get the interview because they've learned how to fake it. And a lot of people in UX today believe in a fake it till you make it mindset, which is, again, that's being disingenuous. You wouldn't want a, a, a doctor that was faking it till he made it. You wouldn't want a dentist that was faking it till he made it. A, a, a hairdresser, a, a, I mean, you, you, you name it, a cook. It doesn't matter what the job is, a plumber. If somebody is faking it, you don't want them doing work for you. You want somebody who's trustworthy, somebody who has a proper level of knowledge and skill, a proper level of acumen 
that's who you want to entrust the work that you're doing to the or the solution you need resolved. You want a person that knows what they're doing. And and so do the people that are looking to hire you. So don't fake it. If if they're hiring for a, a an entry level position, that's what you should be applying for. Not apply. I've I've heard some stories just in the past couple of weeks about people who were companies who were trying to hire directors, trying to hire lead UXers, and people with no experience were applying for these positions, and they would go through the screen process. First of all, they misrepresented who they were on their resume. They misrepresented who they were in their LinkedIn profiles. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. I saw an author on Amazon, on their author page, who said, oh, uh, X is an experienced UX person. Like, what in the world do you mean by that? I went and looked at the person's LinkedIn profile and the person only had three years of UX experience, but they referred to themselves as an experienced UX professional. They they, they just threw that one term out there. They didn't tell you how many years. They just said experienced. And in their mind, they're not misrepresenting themselves. When you say you're experienced, you're, you're saying that you've been around for a bit, not for three years. And if you've been doing UX for three years, that three years, what it represents depends upon the type of work you, you've you been doing and who you've been doing it for. So when the person is misrepresenting and the person wrote a book on how to get your first UX job, uh, I, I would hope that people under the sound of my voice right now know that I don't need to learn about operating uh, in, in any at, at a particular level in UX from somebody who knows little to nothing and definitely less than what I know, I don't need that today. Even though you might get a tip or two, that person is misrepresenting who they are and they're rejoicing in the fact that they can write a book and shame on the publishers. And there's a lot of that going on today as well. And that's where the misinformation, you look back at those episodes and we talked about that. That's why we're dealing with things like this in UX today, because there's a lot of people willing to talk and never stop to ask themselves if they should. So don't be disingenuous like the author that I was just talking about. And yeah, you can find this easily. Go look for it. You'll, you'll see it. Please review someone's background to make sure they're worth listening to before you dive all in. Um, being disingenuous, it makes yourself look bad. You end up making the discipline look bad. You make it difficult for the people to come behind you. It's a very disrespectful, underhanded way to, to operate. And unfortunately, it's, it's all too common in UX today. So do not be disingenuous. Uh, there's a lack of diligence. Uh, people, they want a job. But as mentioned earlier, they've done nothing to do any research on the company. They don't know anything about the company. They don't ask the right questions. They don't look at their network. They don't network. Some people... And when they do network, they don't really network the right way. They just connect with people, but they don't really engage. So when you don't engage, you're not really gathering any intel or any information to help with your development and with your journey. So you must truly engage when it comes to networking. But a lot of people just are not diligent today. There's a a lack of diligence. So make sure you're ready to do the work. This is about work. So uh, let's be about the work. There are a lot of false hopes that people have. Um, and it's another major overlooked element in Foible. And again, you know, somebody say, oh, no, 
yeah, I don't think that's overlooked there. Why are so many people doing it? <laughs> if it's overlooked, uh, then that means people look at it and they poo-poo it off. They ignore it. It's overlooked. It's not being responded to the way it should be. And so a lot of people have false hopes, and these false hopes usually come by connecting with flawed resources who are either taking advantage of people because of their zeal, a lot of that going on in the UX world today, or they're just listening to somebody who really doesn't know a person who's been in, who's been in quote unquote UX for three years, but doesn't really know anything and has been operating at a really low level on the totem pole, so to speak, if you will, the, the food chain, probably a better way to put it. The very low, don't, don't know very much, low to no uh, point of reference. And so they don't have a lot to share because they really haven't been anywhere. And then some people have been at a, a big company and folks ascribe too much to their level of expertise because they were at a big company. And that doesn't mean anything either because you can be at a big company and that big company can still have a very low UX maturity level. So now what is your experience worth? And what are you doing to help that that maturity level increase, improve? What, what are you doing? So very interesting things, but we need to be careful about things of, of that nature today. And so don't have false hopes. Be realistic. Don't engage in toxic positivity. If there's something you need to face, face it. You're going to be better off for it. But when people have false hopes, especially because of connecting with flawed resources, that's going to make it difficult for you when it comes to trying to find a sound and, and a, a reputable UX gig. You don't you don't want to do that. A lot of aspiring UX designer, uh, designers have passion, but no filter. If you want to do better in your UX job hunt, you want to start developing, pay attention to developing a filter. Now, what, what, where is this going to come into play, for example? Because this is extremely dangerous. How about when it comes to spotting problem hiring scenarios? Here's a few signs, things that people, well, areas, I should say, that people are, are not aware of and that they walk right into it. A company that's always hiring. If the company is always hiring UX positions, something's wrong. Either the team is growing and they're growing by leaps and bounds and that's legitimate or they keep bringing people in, finding out that they brought the wrong people in, jettisoning the people that they brought in so they just keep hiring. Especially if you see the same exact position, one that you know is not in mass. For example, if somebody's always hiring UX managers, nobody's hiring UX managers all the time. So, and, and I've seen it firsthand, people will say that they're hiring UX managers or you'll see the job posting, but the reason why that job posting has been out there for seven, eight months, and if you talk to them, you'll find out, yeah, we've been we've been trying to fill this one for a long time. A lot of times it's because they don't know what they're doing, so there's a red flag there. Sometimes you have the the whole, I mentioned this a little earlier, the, the position seems to be all rah-rah. Everybody's rah-rah. Oh, this is great. Oh, we love being here. Oh, my goodness, this is fantastic. But you don't have any demonstration of work ethics. You don't have any solidification of work processes. You don't have any demonstration of anybody really knowing what UX is. So if it's all rah-rah, sis-boom-bah, but there's nothing that's really letting you know that this is a sober, sound, and practical work environment, they're just trying to sell people on the fun stuff and not on the work. Don't know about you. I love doing the work. I want to do the work. I don't want to be allowed to do the work. 
uh, don't care that everybody is having a dance party. I worked at a place once where they made a big deal out of the dance party. And and when I got in there, I found out why everybody was excited about the dance party because a lot of people don't want to do any work. And so that's the, that was the culture. Have fun, don't do work. That's going to come back to bite you, especially if you do have a strong work ethic. So you need to be able to see that. You need to be able to filter that. I mentioned the top places to work mumbo jumbo. That's something, take that with a grain of salt. Um, most places I have seen in my career, my long career, uh, and which extends beyond UX, by the way, um, the best places to work, I have only seen a very small percentage of places that touted themselves as a best place to work that really was a great place to work. So I would highly advise that you take that with a grain of salt. Um, the poorly written job description is a sign. You have to develop a filter. Be able, we need to be able to spot poorly written job descriptions because it at least is a red flag. It's not necessarily that you don't want to go there, but you need you need to ask certain questions if you do get the interview so that you can try to uncover the types of things that the job description really did not indicate because it was written poorly. And they'll tell you, oh, job description not written well. We really need to do better with that. Okay, I'm glad you're honest. Well, let's have our, our conversation now. And then you want to ask the right questions so you can get to the to the bottom of what's going on before you get in the position where you're accepting a job offer and the place is going to is going to uh, drive you into a hole in the ground. You don't want to be in a position like that. The lower than market pay scale. Um, I'm, I'm hoping people under the sound of my voice, if maybe you didn't know, some people probably don't, but there's always every year a salary scale, a UX salary scale is produced so that you can see what are people in UX positions making around the country and in some cases around the world. So you want to know what is the market rate for the work that I do. Now, in the mid-2000s, uh, anywhere between 2005 to 2010, in the Midwest United States, which is where I live, so I'm only going to focus on that. That was the only part that I was really concerned about. And I know that in the West Coast, it's higher. The starting salaries for an entry-level UX position, folks, was in the mid-70s. So you're talking 73 to $76,000 a year for an entry-level UX practitioner. And keep in mind, we were all designers or architects or things of that nature up until about 2012, 2013. I talked to somebody not too long ago who said that they thought that the work that I was doing was, when it came to research, was all academic because I had never held a research position before. You know why? Because in the past, every other job I had, research was part of the job. We didn't we, we didn't have specialist research positions just came about in the last 10 years, less than 10 years. So now you have these people who don't understand the the track record or the history of how things have have evolved and how things have flowed, making these really rash and incorrect assumptions about the discipline. I just sort of laughed. I'm like, no, I did research here, 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 here. No, it's not academic. Why would you think it's academic? I've been doing research, what we know as UX research, since 1996. 
So it's, it's pretty funny, the, uh, uh, which, which also was a, a problem uh, in the hiring arena because of the assumptions that people make. Because I mentioned this last week, there's a lot of unqualified people, uninformed people that are part of the hiring process and it creates problems. So again, you have to make sure you represent yourself properly. That's another foible that I didn't mention directly, but you want to make sure you represent yourself properly so you can always bring those things up. You don't want people making judgments about you that are that are not accurate. So poorly written job description, lower than market pay scale. Again, $73,000, $76,000 between 2005 to 2010. I saw, I forgot what I was about to say, the uh, I have seen job postings for UX positions as low as $30,000 a year. That is ridiculous. And everybody should be running from those jobs. They obviously don't know what UX is. They don't know what the pay scale is. They don't know how to value what UX folks bring to the table. But you know what's even worse? Some people want a UX job so bad that they'll take that grossly underpaying job, which is going to come back to bite that person later, and it's going to come back to bite that company because when that person wakes up, and eventually it's highly likely, as soon as the U.S. community is a relatively small community, and we have a a tendency to connect, somebody's going to let that person know what the, I know I tell people all the time, what the the market rate is for for different U.S. professionals at different levels, based on experience, based on education, things of that nature. Uh, and we find out that you're only making $30,000. Your company is only paying people $30,000. That person is going to leave and it's going to cost that company to replace that individual. By the way, it's better to pay someone a higher salary because you're more likely to keep them. You just want to make sure everything else is in line with that. So just another tidbit on that. Be on the lookout for unqualified UX leaders. We have to develop a skill to be able to see that. One way you can do it is look at the record of the hiring manager, the people you're going to be interviewing with. Look them up. When you find out who you're going to interview with, look them up on LinkedIn. Find out what what has their path been when it comes to UX. What kind of work have they been doing? Is it one of those people who went from from, as we like to say, from being a hot dog vendor to a UX lead, then you don't want to work. And that, that's not that's not the best situation to work in. You're not going to get any mentoring because they don't know anything to mentor you about. They just came across a situation where they got a, a, a high-level UX job uh, without having the qualifications, where people who do have the qualifications, for the record, have a very difficult time even getting interviews, let alone the jobs to come along with things like that. So just something to to know. We're really interesting how all that plays out. But when you see the art director and the uh, the the architect and these people who did nothing, they might have been closely related or closely engaged with UX, but don't have the track record of being engaged in the actual work, then they're not going to understand you. They're not going to know how to interact with you. They're not going to know how to value you. They're not going to, the work is not going to be done the right way. And if you, when you can spot that, that will help you understand whether or not that's a place that you want to be. So something else to keep in mind. And then lastly, if you have a department riddled with fake, fake UX roles, that's a warning sign. That's a red flag. 
And so a lot of people, all of the different scenarios that I just gave you, a lot of people don't know how to spot these things. And, and to elaborate on the last one, look people up. You're going to interview somebody, go to LinkedIn, LinkedIn, look up people, look up people who work at that place. Look at the job titles. It will tell you something. And when a company takes somebody from off of, uh, from doing God knows what, and puts them in a UX leadership role, whether it's a manager, a lead, even a senior, that reeks that there is something wrong with the UX maturity level at that organization. And it's another reason why UX is broken because that kind of stuff is becoming the norm. And then in the long run, it detracts from our value. It detracts from our perception. It detracts from the value proposition. People don't get what they they want. Then when you bring a a real UX person in, they think the UX person is going to do the silly stuff that somebody else was doing that's not really UX because the, the understanding of UX has been skewed. So these things are all problems, folks. So these are issues. And there's more. This list is not exhaustive. Last week's list is not exhaustive. But these are some things that you can have on your on your radar. Because if you want to excel when it comes to the UX hiring process as a candidate, there needs to be more soberness. There needs to be more awareness. There needs to be more sharpness. There needs to be more education. There needs to be more of a proper focus so that we can do the right things as a candidate and stop compromising and stop settling for less and things of that nature. But a lot of people are going to ignore something like this because, hey, they want to get that check. And so they go out there and they basically, they they do the equivalent of prostituting themselves. Just say it. And, And so... Now you got a problem on your hands because you accepted an offer for something that was skewed. That's a problem, folks. That's a problem. I mentioned book recommendations. We're going to wrap up here. Uh, I have three sets of book recommendations for you. One is the entire Knock 'em Dead series. There's uh, written by Martin Yate. There's Knock 'em Dead, the ultimate job search guide. Knock 'em Dead, job interviews, how to turn interviews into paychecks. Knock them dead resumes, knock them dead cover letters, knock them dead secrets and strategies for first time job seekers. There is a whole series of knock them dead books, and I highly recommend these books. I've been using them for years. I've been using them for quite some time, at least 20 years. Uh, I highly recommend that folks tap into these. There are some great resources. I recommend 60 Seconds and You're Hired. It's written by Robin Ryan. Phenomenal book that talks about things, some of the dynamics that take place during the job interview process. And so I highly recommend you tap into that. And lastly, How to Get a UX Design Job by Lisa Mernon. Now, I recently came into the knowledge of this book. What I like is that, and I won't refer to any of the content, what I like is the novel idea that this book is written by somebody that's been doing UX work since the 90s. So this is somebody who knows the ins and outs. And and I've seen other books that are written by people who either were doing UX for the equivalent of the proverbial three minutes. In other words, they have little to no experience and really shouldn't be talking about the subject. They, They have experiences, but they don't have enough experiences. And God knows they shouldn't be writing a book about it. Uh, so 
Robin's or Lisa's uh book, not Robin, but Lisa is somebody who has been around, who's seen a lot, who has some extensive experience. And so that those are the types of people we should be drawing from. And it's not that other people don't have anything to say. They're just saying too much and they're presenting themselves as if they are our experts. And you're not an expert if you've only been doing this for three years. You're not. For five years, you're not an expert. Seven years. The, the, and, and sadly, a lot of the people who have been around a long time don't talk very much. So that's part of what left us in this vulnerable position that we find ourselves in today. But let's make sure, be better when it comes to being a candidate. Be more informed. Be more deliberate. Be diligent. And when you do these things, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pan out for you and the organization that decides to to make you a part of their team. Sound good? I certainly hope so. So folks, another extended edition today, episode, uh, and we hope you got a lot out of this and we'll be having some more guests on in the not too distant future. We already have some in the hopper ready to, to share with you. But until next week, it's time to sign off, folks. This is Darren Hood, host of The World of UX. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.